0: This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hey fam, beautiful podcast, squad cast. (laughs) Uh, welcome to another episode of Last Drinks. I'm going to keep this real tight because Jules Lund and I could talk for days and days without a breath. Julesy is, uh, he's a mate, um, but you'll hear very early on in our conversation why I hated him for a really, really long time. My hatred was was warranted. My hatred was justified. And um, we have managed to get to a place in our relationship where we call each other friends now. Um, I just wanted to quickly mention that I love getting your messages on Instagram. They light up my day. I love hearing from you. Um, Kelly has sent me a message saying, Hi, Maz. I've been listening... Ange sent me a message um, on Instagram that said, so excited for my book to arrive. Love your podcast. Thanks, Ange. Thanks for ordering the book. I hope it has arrived by now, hopefully. Um, And I have just had... And then I had some great response to some of the media that I was doing um, in the lead up to the book being launched. So the book is now in bookstores all over Australia. Um, I went into Dimmicks the other day and I had a look and it's under the new releases section on the top shelf. And I was like, that's my book. It's so cool. Um, so you can go out to a bricks and mortar store, go, go take yourself up for some retail therapy. If you want to go and get a copy. Also, you can buy it online. I had a message from Karen who says, hey, Maz, I saw you on the project earlier this week and wanted to give you a big high five through the screen. So great to see people out there normalizing not drinking. I have been alcohol free for almost 100 days and have found that even though I feel a million times better, healthier and more awake, I also feel a bit lonely. Just wondering if you could recommend some sober Facebook groups that I could join as I can't seem to find any myself. Can't wait to read your book from Kaz. Karen, I feel you. The the sober journey is, it's so great, but yes, you can absolutely feel alone. So my recommendation, jump into the sober, awkward community. Victoria Vanstone has become a bit of a sober mate of mine. Um, She will be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. She has a cuppa community, C-U-P-P-A, and it is full of people who are sober and love talking about it to each other and it's just a wonderful it's a great sober community that I am a part of that I think you will find some online buddies in and Vic is also hosting a live event uh, in September so she will be on the podcast in a couple of weeks talking about all of those things but um in the short term Kaz Sober Awkward is that community that I um I would send you to okay Uh, And that's for everybody or anybody um, who's listening to this. If you want to find some sober buddies, um, dip into the Sober Awkward community. They are just wonderful and open-armed and just delicious. Okay, enjoy Last Drinks with my now friend, former career nemesis, but super buddy, Jules Lund. And you can actually introduce me, but let's not do that. Uh, Jules Lund. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: You're very, very welcome. Have you forgiven me yet?
0: No. And let's start there because for people that listen to this podcast, they might not know that you've been my career nemesis uh, for my entire adult life. Quick bit of backstory. It was the year 2000 and ESPN held auditions around Australia to find the very next X Games host. And out of 4,000 entries across Australia, it came down to just two finalists, Jules Lund and Maz Compton. And Jules Lund got the job and I've hated you ever since.
1: I know. <laughs> what a frenemy, huh? I'm a frenemist. Yeah. Oh, no, well. it... I mean, the good news is you got me back because um, I then had a radio show uh, I'm up with Kyle and Jackie O on Today FM, the breakfast show, and I got knock on the door one day, and the content director said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna actually replace you with someone called Dan and Maz, uh, Maz Compton. You remember her?" And I said, "She got me back. Twenty years later, she got me back."
0: It's so funny. Do you know what I love though, Jules, is that we both found our own paths in media, and we have crossed. Soared so many times in different. We've been on the same radio show at some point, like and and the same network and rival networks. But um, what I what I really never thought I would be doing is having a conversation with you about sobriety. And that is in all seriousness. Of all the years that I have known you, I never thought you would be on last drinks. So I am so curious to know about your last drink and and how this has all played out for you.
1: So okay, <laughs> let's let's have an honest conversation. So why do you think? And and I I pay it because it's accurate. But so they know why do you think I'd be the last person?
0: Well, maybe the second last. But um I have had many a drink with you, my friend, and I've I know. I know that you have always given it a good nudge. I think I've seen you hungover more than I've seen you not. And that's just rolling around in media circles, right? Yeah. And it's not to it's not for me to judge, okay? So it's not I was never sitting there on the sidelines going, "Oh, look at Jules. I I really just I just didn't think that you'd be the guy that would get sober. I really didn't. But I I think you have. And I want to know what this story is for you. Because one thing I know, Jules, after 70-odd episodes of this podcast, everyone's journey to sobriety is as unique as their fingerprint. And that's what I love about having these conversations is because everyone who's getting there gets there in their own unique and special way. And I'm sure yours is as special as you are.
1: Well, it comes down to three words. A court order. Wow. No, I'm joking. Oh,
0: oh God, I was like, oh,
1: I don't be too judgmental with your wow, Maz. I don't judge you until, until. That was
0: a, that was that wasn't a judgmental wow. That was an inquisitive wow.
1: Um, no,
0: come on, tell me the story. No, What's, no. What happened?
1: Well, it's not a court order, but I suppose if I kept going, look, my my relationship with alcohol is an interesting one in a sense that. Um, um, it's big in our family uh, and my parents have been incredibly social and, you know, I think about my entire upbringing, it was quite dominant, a force. Um, parties every weekend, you know. As kids we grew up in, it was like a circus, you know. We would mm-hmm. go around in tribes as, as kids um at at our parents you know family friends parties you know you'd be you'd be staying over at people's houses all around the place you'd be waking up put in the back of a car you know it was was really fun and that's I think you know I've got a lot to be thankful for from a, a a social point of view um but I do remember plenty of times you know you'd be waking up in the morning and um And, you know, there would just be booze, like layers and layers of booze. Like, uh, you know, us playing around rather than in the sandpit was just like mixing wine and beer and spirits. And, you know, in those days was just like it was full on. So um, that was always a big part. Uh, I think um, I never drank uh, a lot, uh, like a high quantity. And I actually never drank... Uh, often, however, when I did drink, it wouldn't take me a high volume to get pretty drunk and get pretty rowdy. So, it would be really odd for people to hear me say I had a drinking problem because they say, No, you don't, you you drink mid strengths or you know, beer, or you don't even drink that much, you don't even drink spirits or. You know, you don't even drink that often, and you don't even drink through the week, which I didn't. But I definitely still had a drinking problem, in my, in my opinion. And the problem that I had was, and as I got older, it became more potent. Was the self-loathing the next day around running my mouth, mm-hmm. because I, uh, I love um, the verbal joust.
0: That's yes, the banter.
1: The banter. And I love radio. And those that I love the most are those that give me shit. Yeah. Because now I'm like, great, we're jousting. And um and I really miss that in, in radio, which is sort of why I'm going back into it and why I love chatting to you, Maz, because that is really fun. It's like, you know, it's like wrestling. It's like, it's just a great, it's so fun, you know? And, um, and unfortunately, I do that when i am been drinking with people that don't see it as, as playful. They just mm. see it as abuse. Because yeah. what I'm wanting, I'm pushing them because I really like them and enjoying it. And what I'm wanting them to do is push me back. But a lot of people aren't sort of like that or, or whatever. And so what happens is I end up, I don't know, I just take things too far. I'm not able to mm. read the room. I lack awareness and I yeah, I cross the line. And and as I get older, I find myself going, ah, oh, I I'm not as comfortable being an arsehole or, you know, being funny for it or just being happy with shock value and, and putting it down to, well, stuff them. If they don't get me, no one gets me. You know, like Yeah. So it was really just about um verbally. Um Misrepresenting myself, and I'm a, I'm a I like who I am when I'm sober, and I I wasn't liking who I was when I was drunk, and I wasn't slurring my speech or or tripping over my feet, but I do like the sense of danger, and so and that usually comes around with going too far, like I don't know, in years gone past I'd climb shit right because I was sensitive to alcohol but then if you had the stimulant alongside it it was too much so in my 20s it was red bull and vodka and i was banned from that um by my wife because i'm gonna say from
0: from red bull (laughs) you're gonna be like hey jules tone down the red bull and vodka
1: slab of red bull a month so i had unlimited red bull and i'd turn up to my mate's house uh, who you know, Sammy Cav, your ex boss. and um, And he would, uh, you know, I'd rock up with what they called my party bag, which was just a bottle of vodka and, you know, just all these Red Bulls. And then it would just be too much. Like I'd be running mm. naked or, you know, running over cars or, you know, doing stupid shit on the dance floor at, at, at a nightclub. And I would just be borderline locked up. Uh, which I really enjoyed. So got banned from that after some, you know, because sometimes you'd, I'd take it too far. And then and then I, f- I went, all right, I won't do that. And then I found espresso martinis. And sure. then that was, that was the next one. The next so, thing. Yeah. Then
0: so, I, so for you, like, is it the thrill, like you said you love danger, right? So it like I'm just trying to understand what is that? Are you a thrill seeker? Are you an extremist? Do you... Do you love just being on the edge? Is it the anticipation that something could go wrong? Like what is that feeling that you chase or that you were chasing when you were drinking?
1: It's definitely the on the edge. So I like the edge uh, in everything. Like, Not I, just I, the
0: guitarist. You mean?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I do very much love it. <laughs> um, so I... Yeah, I very much need that and I very much get bored without it. So, um, I'll give you a few examples, like my whole twenties from sort of when you and I went head to head and, and you sadly lost badly (laughs) because you weren't as talented, um, I mean, not my words. The judges.
0: Because one of my mates wasn't one of the producers that yeah, decided who the winning person was going to be. We can get into that if you want. Fake
1: news. Fake news. Can't prove it, and it's. it's
0: Mate, I have it on tape.
1: It's you bi- said bi- it on.
0: Yeah. You said it live on air.
1: Oh, you collect all those audio grabs, do you, for your show reel? Yeah, anyway. my Jules,
0: my jewels, lunch shrine at home.
1: Yeah. The voodoo doll to feed the voodoo doll. No, I. Um, so you got to imagine, like I spent ten years travelling as a getaway reporter yeah. in the adventurous realm. So I would be, yeah. and this is not. I was already like this beforehand, but this certainly created a level of uh, addictive thrill. Like sure. I was shark diving one day. Then I'd be in a hot air balloon going over Luxor, Egypt. Then I'd be doing zero gravity flights in Vegas or skydiving in a tuxedo. And then I'd be hosting the red carpet of the Logies. Yeah. Like it was, I did that for 10 years, flying business class, jumping all, you know, like it was just, it was redlining, which yeah. at the end I had pure adre- adrenal fatigue and, you know, I struggle with getting pretty low and depressed at times because I reckon... There is that um, that element, but no, I you know, like during COVID, when I, I got absolutely numb, like I was like, sorry about that. That's my um uh, rot wheeler disguised as a cavoodle. Shut um, up, Ricky! Is it really a cavoodle? I live in Elwood, Melbourne, and you get a free one with your rates. <laughs> When you play your council rates, they go. Here's your cavoodle and your lycra. Shut up! Oh, buddy,
0: Take off your little jacket that I knitted you. That um, it's that or a French bulldog. Yeah, (laughs) because I used to live in Elwood
1: too. (sighs) Yes, you did. Just trying to get closer to me. Was I was in Burn
0: Street, just around the corner.
1: Throwing cavoodle poo at the back of my car. (laughs) I saw you. Um. So anyway, I um, during COVID, I was like, all right, I'm so numb. I need a defibrillator. I need to jolt myself out of this. And so yeah, wow. my idea is I'm going to learn how to throw myself out of a plane solo. And so I I got my skydiving licence and did it, you know, yeah. did that. And it was amazing, you know, because I was like, all right, I'm awake. I'm present. You know, I'm out of my head and out of my and, – and that sort of speaks volumes. Now that I'm booze-free, I'm trying to do – like training for Ironman's and ultra yeah, like I need sure. to scare the shit out of myself, basically. Like you would be exactly the same. That's why you've taken on all your ventures, because you want to push Totally. Well, this is the interesting thing,
0: right? So I I totally hear you when I don't know if for me it's so much living on the edge because I what I one of the things I learned about myself in sobriety that was surprising is that I'm an introvert, but <laughs> I have an extroverted personality. I love that you just found that hilarious. So I for me I did I did a decade on the road and MTV and flying yeah. business class and doing all the things and being at the parties and interviewing rock stars and and you're so up and, but it's this it's almost a distorted reality because that's not real life and it doesn't last you can't do those things forever because for me when I was like 28 I was like god I'm going to be 30 soon can I really be the chick on the youth branded MTV pushing 30 you know so I think I understand what that uh, what goes up must come down roller coaster ride is for your emotional and mental health and it's and so I think sometimes you you just have to drink to survive or to feel something because you you I got to a point where I couldn't operate without it. So I couldn't go into the sales meetings and the events and the concerts that I had to go to and back it up and be on air and find the content and get all the lulls and be hilarious all day. I couldn't do all of that without just topping up by oh. 2014. Right. So it's interesting because I get what you're saying about the edge, but I stay so far away from the edge now. But then I do weird stuff. Like I sit in an ice bath every day for five minutes like wow. that's a, And people think that I'm stuck mad for doing that, but I'm like that actually gives me the yeah. calm that I crave because my brain is so hectic. Like I overproduce my thought life because I've been in radio for so long. So for me, sitting in an ice bath is the only thing that shuts my brain up for five minutes, and it's five minutes of, of peace. But I feel like you're not chasing peace because – somehow peace, I don't know, you're, you're chasing something totally different and that's, that checks out because you're a, you're a different person. But how then do you reconcile that without alcohol? Is it the skydiving?
1: Yeah, yeah, I am. I mean, what I realised very quickly was I, I have an enormous amount of uh, extra capacity, which was great uh, after not drinking. I'm not entirely sure the logic On that. So, what I mean is that when I stopped drinking, um, which was about eight months ago, I think, this weekend, um, I had an enormous uh, gust of tailwind around gratitude and my serotonin levels just. I was I was just so grateful uh, of my life for months. Like it lasted months. It was it was really out of control, and I was like, wow. And I'm like, what am I putting that down to? Because as I said, I didn't drink. Uh, it's not like I was like, oh, I, I'm I'm not drinking through the week, so I'm sleeping better. Um, mm. I was still only drinking, like having a big night every couple of weeks or something, and so I couldn't really put it down to sleep. But I think it is sleep. I think it's a combination of two things um, that unlocked this added capacity. The first being, I think I always carried around a huge amount of fear, scared of myself. Like, what could I do? What could I say? I don't have control in those environments. You know, I just had that because, you know, there'd be times I'd go too far, right? And there'd be an article or, you know, and I'd be like, uh, or I'd, I'd just, I'd go too far. A lot, actually. I mean, I've got hundreds of stories of going too far. But it was a, it was sort of affirmed around my friendship group. And, you know, I got this alter ego called Fuckwit Lund, who is, he comes out, he's alcohol-induced, right? And I would just yeah. be this absolute menace, which my friends love. But then, you know, there'd be times where <laughs> it wouldn't be lovable. So, um but but all of a sudden I went oh now I've got full control, so that was pretty amazing and I th- and I think I felt immediately safer and happier. And then the next one was whilst uh, whilst I was only drinking so often, um, whilst I was only drinking so often, I d- did actually think. Um, the the better sleep on those evenings kept my circadian rhythm or whatever you want to call it body clock from mm-hmm. just burking out so that yeah. through the week it was more consistent and then i was getting higher quality sleep and then that changed me it wasn't the absence of alcohol in my sips system that was making me happier mm. it was the fact that overall i was sleeping better and as a as a foundational element um, I was just better at peace.
0: It so I think sleep is probably one of the most underrated pillars of health. Like we don't we don't talk about it enough. But it, I do. <laughs> it, My yes.
1: wife absolutely hates me talk.
0: Yeah, I'm a fan of sleep. Sorry, I yeah. know it sounds really boring. And but you know what? It's and it's funny when you're a parent because all you want to do you just want your kids to sleep for goodness sake, and they just don't want to because yeah. they're like, well. Well, of course you don't want to because you're four years old. And, like, Paw Patrol is so exciting. I, I totally get why. And you have somebody run around and do everything for you. And you don't have any responsibility and all your entire life is play and fun. Why would you want to go to sleep? I yeah. get it. But <laughs> as an adult, I I had that, like, Peter Pan thing for a long time where I didn't want to go to sleep and I would stay up drinking to some because sleep somehow felt like a waste of time because – I don't know. I was missing out or I was worried that, I don't know. I, I avoided sleep for a really long time. And I felt the same thing too, Jules. When I stopped drinking in that first month, I felt like I had this huge paradigm shift in about the 22nd, 23rd day where I felt, I felt mentally clear for the first time in my entire adult life. And I felt like my mental capacity I realized I'd been running at probably 65 to 70% thinking I was killing the game. And then I realized in sobriety, Oh my God, like my brain is working better. And, and I didn't do anything stupid while I was sober or if I was going to, I knew full well that it was going to be a stupid decision. Like I was fully accountable to myself in those moments. And I think the sleep thing is so huge because alcohol it, yeah, myriad of negative effects. We could go on about that. You know, I've talked to neuroscientists about the impact on our brain. I've talked to um, GPs and addiction experts about what it does to our body. But I, but what I know for absolute truth is that alcohol affects your quality of sleep. And when, if you are not sleeping, if you're not getting into your deep REM, that's the dream state sleep, if you don't get there because you have to get up to pee or vomit or have a hairy lemon in the middle of the night or find your pyjamas or go home or what have you.
1: Or if... all of the above at once.
0: <laughs> By way of random example, like just, just popped into my brain that any of those things may happen to anybody after a big night out. <laughs> um, but it's impacting your quality of sleep. So you're, you you get up in the middle of the night with anxiety, you you check your text messages, you Or you have like a recollection about you being a complete tool or whatever it is and then you can't go back to sleep and then you're cycling up here and then you're not getting into that REM state so then your body doesn't restore all of the systems it needs to restore physically in your physiology and then you get up and then you try and go again but you're already giving yourself like not the best start to the day but then we do that even if it's only on weekends it's still, you're just limiting yourself from the get-go and you're doing yourself such a disservice. And that's just one of the impacts that, that drinking alcohol, any amount of alcohol impacts your sleep. It's just a fact because it, it messes with your neural pathways and it changes your brain chemistry and it screws with your hormones. And when those things start getting out of whack, then you're right, your psych- circadian rhythm isn't in rhythm it's all just you're just screwing with yourself and these are the things we don't get taught about alcohol right like yeah it can be fun and yeah even if you don't have an alter ego sometimes just having a drink can feel relaxing but the, the relax is is fake relax it's not true relax it's it's a complete this is why I say alcohol is such a liar and it's a sleep thief because you think you're getting re- relaxed but you're actually robbing yourself of that deep REM restorative sleeps and and then you're screwing yourself over and nobody says it and you don't realize it until you stop drinking and then after a few weeks of not drinking you're like oh oh this is how I'm supposed to feel every day this feels pretty good maybe we should keep going down this road you know what I mean
1: so here's a thought I'm interested in your reaction I think I'll go back after one year you can go back after one year it's your journey Because I I find myself... Do you mean,
0: wait, can I, sorry, can I ask, do you mean like flip the lid and go way back, like go right back? Or do you mean go back in a controlled way where you'll give yourself um, boundaries or limitations to make sure that you can moderate?
1: The former. I'm going to have espresso martinis with Red Bull. (laughs) No, I'm not. No, no. I I mean with, with my newfound enlightenment um no because I am struggling with it right so I tell you what I'm struggling with two things one every now and then it's a tough week and I need to blow off steam and the escapism or the reset or the take myself to a different mental state like crossing the line I feel like I need that at times not often but when I do feel like I need it, I'm really like, oh, this is really, really tough. Mm. The second one is, um, you know, like I did pretty well like a, like a, and've I've got through some really tough days. So you know, um, the races, you know, going to marquee and you know, that was really like that that's like a normal environment where for twenty years I used to go there and you just sort of drink all day. And then you know, after marathons, like you go away and you know all with all your friends, and you go and do a marathon. The morning, the sun's out that afternoon, and you just want to, you know, it's been a big build-up, and you want to celebrate. And then other ones, like uh, I went to a conference a few weeks ago in San Fran, in Napa Valley, and you know, like everyone's just really getting on it. It's the media and marketing industry, and um and then after that i you know we just launched a a tribe office in miami and i've never been to miami before so i turn up there and we've got a whole new team there and they're fun they're all salesy and cool and you know you know as part of all the bonding you want to have some drinks and and not it not you know most if i don't have zero percent beer is it is something i can access i'm really in in strife like i i'm not into a big glass of water with a squeeze of lime in it and soft drinks. Like I can only get through all of those with 0% beer because my brain just keeps moving. It's fine. But then yeah. sometimes when the 0% beer is either not accessible or, um, or they're re- like the team's really having fun and I'm, and it's taken and I'm tired and I'm yeah. really struggling to keep up and actually get into a fun mood. Like I really just want to let go and not think it through and not be sober basically, not have all of my awareness. I want to actually limit my awareness. Those are the moments I'm having trouble. And that last trip, I really, I was starting to go, oh, this is really, I'm pissed off now. Like I'm out and I'm a bit shitty. And so what I'm trying to figure out is, like getting to one year is, is a non-negotiable. But mm-hmm. I reckon by the time I get there, I think I'm going to have to go, right, what does it look like now? Because I used to do a lot of, and just so you know, in terms of Red Bull and vodkas, I blocked out. Then um, then spirits, uh, I banned myself from, well, mm. with some help with friends, because I had some big blow ups and gotten deep shit. And um, I had I five. I don't know exactly to- what we're
0: talking about, but yeah. You,
1: were you there?
0: Um, it depends where yeah. we're talking
1: about. No. About yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah so yeah. I won't go into detail no you However, don't need to and I, I do
0: yeah,
1: yeah but I had there I had I remember standing at the bar and there was a whole bar load of espresso martinis and I'm talking to you know our boss and whole heap of people and I already had a bit of I was just not aligned like I had some really confronting um stuff going on in that environment and I remember drinking five espresso martinis as I was having this one conversation. I just went, one, there just was this row. Yeah. And then I was like, Bruce, like the Hulk, the the yes. coffee going through my veins. Because I have a coffee anyway, or Red Bull, or sugar, and I'm like a menace. So in that environment- You're a
0: toddler. You,
1: you, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're like
0: a toddler on Red Frogs.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm now- lifting off the tarmac and that night yeah. went I don't know where it went but either way the next day because I I have to like you know I had to apologize to a lot of people I've had to give away a lot of sorry cakes in my past so that mm. was a thing that I used to do and, and and then my friends laugh at but when I'd trash someone's house I'd have to go back to like their parents and the next day and I'd get a cake from St Kilda you know uh and I'd uh I'd say sorry and a lot of people put on a lot of weight because I was apologizing.
0: <laughs> Sorry, cakes.
1: Often. And so anyway, I gave the apology up in, in bullet to, to people. And, uh, and then it was like, and then Sammy Cav, my best mate and who I referenced before, he was like, you know what, you just got to, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I wish I wasn't drinking and I didn't do that. And he's like, rather than making thousands of decisions, just make one right? It's so much easier. So what's your one decision? I said, no spirits. And so ne- for, the, for the next five years, I said, no spirits, it's just beer. And so that was, that was really impressive. And it was a clear, dry line and I didn't need them and I got over it. But then I did find myself being able to achieve that same level of drunkenness on yeah. beer. So then yeah. I went no heavy beer. And so for many years, I drank mid-strength, when everyone else was laughing at mid-strength, which was 4X Gold and Great Northern's mid. So everyone's laughing and I'm like, anyway, it's now just, you know, almost the default. And then um, what was happening was I was drinking mid-strength and lights, but then I'd get in an environment where they didn't have them. So maybe I'm at a function or I'm overseas Mm. and there wasn't an option or a conference and I would drink heavies and now because I'm not match fit, I get real fucked up real quick, like really yeah. drunk and menacing. So now I'm like, so then I'm like, and that, I had a few of those. And then I'm like, right, I, I, I'm i having trouble here. And that's what I mean. I, I had that conversation where I'm like, what am I going to do? And then that was when I was like, oh, I actually am not allowed to drink any alcohol because I'm not a grown up. I'm not able because mm-hmm. the problem is I say to myself, all you're allowed five beers, you get to the fifth, and now I've got no boundaries. Yeah. So the only way I can do it, so now when I go back after this year, I don't know where I draw the line, but I think I'm sort of drawing it at a line that is like three heavies or three strengths of just beer that enables me to let go and feel loose, but I haven't had so many that that line is blurred. And I don't know if it's achievable, but I need at least to have something because at the moment, that brain in me is going. You're not having as much fun as you mm-hmm. could. Be. And I know that's a, a weak because a lot of people listening to this are like, "Grow a dick, grow up. You're tougher." <laughs>
0: but well, I completely value your honesty, and here's my challenge to you, because okay. I've spoken to somebody on this podcast who told me that they have an alcohol allergy. And so I think, okay, I think about this, right? So let's say, let's say you had a peanut allergy. And so if you have peanuts, you're anaphylaxis, you're screwed. So would you like, you're not going to mess around with any peanuts, right? You just, it's, it's none. It's zero. Because if you have it, you're, it's gonna it's gonna affect you so badly that something really terrible could happen. So you duty of care for yourself or or a friend you and so then if if I invited you over knowing that you had a peanut allergy, I would make sure that we weren't having sautéed chicken for dinner. Like I would I would ensure that because of your condition and your allergy that I was honouring our friendship by looking after you and looking out for you. So if you think about your reaction to alcohol as an allergy, it puts it in a, dis, a different situation when you're thinking about how am I going to moderate, what am I going to do? Because maybe it's zero, joules and it might not be. And, and I'm not, it, it, this, like I said, this is your yeah. sobriety, this is your journey. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm so glad that you've had eight months in the sober seat to really sit with this because yeah. if you do go back it's going to be a very educated calculated um, dis- decision that you can hold yourself hopefully accountable to to a level but i guess what i'm saying is it might the, the number for you might actually just be 0 and and then that gives you permission to go and find the fun some other way and there might be another way and it might not be Like, I feel like your version of fun is just like one version, and it's this really extreme version, which is fine. But there might be other ways that you can actually access all of that other good stuff without having any alcohol in your system, and being, and then you're being this like true larrikin, and you're, you are being authentic about it as well. And I also understand what you say about the escapism thing. And this is something that I talk about in my book, and it doesn't sound like, Cool at all. But I have this sort of um, I get people to curate their own sober toolkit, which basically is like fill in all the space that you usually would go out drinking with other stuff until you find something that you're froth on. And it doesn't sound exciting to some. If I told you like, oh, I minimized and I threw out all this shit in my house, you're like, great, that's awesome. Like, well done. But it did make me feel awesome. And it served a purpose in my life. And now I'm really intentional about stuff that I buy and I kind of am into a sustainability and it's just stuff that I'm aware of that I wouldn't have room to pay attention to if I was drinking alcohol. Now for you with the, like the danger zone that you want to fly into constantly, I don't know what that is.
1: Um, I do. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not hypothetical because eight months, I mean, I, uh, I've absolutely had to do exactly that and replace. I've got a every Sunday from three to four thirty. I what do you do? The gym across the road. I create community dodgeball because I want the danger without hurting people. Because that was when I was speaking to my therapist originally about booze. She was like, "Why do you? Why do you like drinking? What is it that you get out of it?" Et cetera, et cetera. And the answer was, as I said before, I like the combativeness of good banter and uh, I want to sort of poke people and, you know, uh, but I don't want to hurt them, but I just <laughs> enjoy that. I want to dodge and weave and, and that's literally, it was like, I'm going to give up booze, but I still want to see my friends. I want to give them, yeah. I want to give them something fun. I want to spend, if I've got extra time and capacity, I want to spend it with my kids, even though they don't turn up and I end up just throwing balls at everyone else's kids, which is kind of cool too. Um, but we have, you know, over the course of eight months, we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and it's building. Like it was on Triple M. They competed the, against us the other day. And so, and then plus I'm taking up all these Ironman. So I've, you know, taken the money that I would be spending on booze and I'm filling it with so many different things like everything from kayaking to mountain biking to et cetera, like lo- loads of... um loads of silly things so that's not a hypothetical I'm with you okay. right it okay. does move that escapism I know how to the best thing I've found for escapism is exactly that it's physical getting out there and, and I've and I've found some really amazing things mm. do they on the Friday night after the exhausting week do I am I able to quickly tap into one of those not really um, I mean the closest thing I can get to is giving myself a treat in ice cream.
0: But the other one in general Is that terms- a euphemism or is it actually ice cream?
1: Oh, f- ice cream. <laughs> okay, just checking. It's the best thing on the planet. Um, uh, I love I went it.
0: through a hardcore Maxi bond stage when I gave okay. up drinking. All you right. know Maxi Bonds? Yeah. Dude, I... Because I was the girl, I was like, I don't do dessert. I just have a glass of red wine. And by glass, I mean bottle. And so when I stopped drinking, my sugar cravings went through. through, And I was like, get me the damn ice cream. And I just ate that. I just, Maz Maxi Bonds is what I was for a while then. Then I had to give up ice cream for a while too. Yeah.
1: The funny thing is that a lot of people say, oh, you give up booze and you lose weight. You didn't. (laughs) the The annoying thing about mine is, I'll go to a a luncheon like, you know, with a whole heap of friends and and over the course of the day, like there was a limit to how many beers I could drink because of the alcohol, right? I'd drink like, I don't know, nine beers. Now I'm drinking zeros. I can drink Mm. 25 of these things, right? Yeah. I'm actually (laughs) taking on more calories because each one's like a soft drink I'm um, literally yeah. I've been doing sit-ups in the front of pubs trying to cuz I've been so bloated. Oh my god. So much gas. But anyway, I want to get back to the peanut allergy thing cuz it doesn't yeah. quite doesn't quite work. Okay. Because I agree that there's a discipline. So this is not a disipl- this is, it might be, but it's very easy. If you got if you're anaphylactic and you're having peanuts. Yeah, I totally get that, right? Yeah. Um, because, because you've got no reason and then your friends around you are making it easy for you. I get that. They're not doing satay chicken. However, that that isn't what the case here because for the first part, um, if you had anaphylactic response one in 20 times that you eat peanuts, mm. all of a sudden you're there going, oh. And if by eating peanuts you got – taken to a different state and there was elation, uh, then sometimes it's worth it. And worse yet is when it goes bad, anaphylactic, you're in deep shit. When it goes bad here, you can keep moving. And the other part is your friend, well, yeah, you can go to their house, but that's not the reality, right? You can't yeah. You can't close yourself up and not everyone's going out of their way to make sure that you're not in an environment Or that there isn't, you know, the temptation of booze, and so I agree that it would be very easy if I was allergic to booze because the decision's Mm. made for me. But I'm sitting within a a realm of like, well, I can, I, I I want to be able to find, have my cake and eat it too, to find the, to colour within the lines without going over them. Mm. It's worth finding that because. There is some payoffs. Um, admittedly, I've had extraordinary, like the top of my to-do list is usually my mantra. And at the moment, it just says, bullshit, you need it. Because I'm telling myself, it just says, bullshit, you need it. Because on the nights that I don't drink, and I when I was drinking, I would drink those nights. And now when I'm not, mm. I'm like, mate, that was a better night. I drove home. I was more fun. Totally. I all fall over the line and end up drinking till 3 a.m. Like there's all these benefits. But then as I say in those rare moments, how do I allow myself that without, and that's where the real discipline, because there's, that's, and I don't know if I can do it, but as Sam says, making one decision and never drinking is a lot easier than having to go, is this the night I, or am I going to stop at three beers or eight beers? And that constant, that constant is, ex, that's exhausting. That negotiating, it's that lying to yourself. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, and, it's,
0: and, you're, and you're negotiating with yourself yeah there's no one else accountable to you know what I mean like you you negotiate with yourself until you just go ah oh, whatever and then you just yeah. give up and so it I don't know if it's I don't know if you can a toe thing. the line yeah I agree but, but I love that you're being honest about it and I I just think that it's admirable that you you I think that there will be people listening to this Jules that will breathe a sigh of relief to go oh he finds it hard too, because I think sometimes, and I've had moments like that, mine not so much about missing out on all the funsies. I've been through some pretty hectic grief in the last year and a half. Mm. And so for me, it was like dealing with these really big emotions that usually you would just drink to escape from and sitting in the reality of them and not drinking. Like that's sort of been, you know, my big, this is hard. Like this is real, this is big life stuff, you know, like we're in our midlife now and, Things aren't super fun all the time, you know, but I just think that it will be a relief for people to hear that it's not easy, but that doesn't mean it's not worth it. And it's not easy, but and it doesn't have to be forever either. I think if you, everyone's sobriety is their own to own, and if you can not have any drinks for eight, ten, twelve months, two years, whatever it is, and then find a line and be comfortable with that. That's okay. Cause at the end of the day, it's your relationship with alcohol. It's not anybody else's.
1: Yeah. Hey, um, slowing things down a moment. Is there anything that you learned about grieving that you haven't yet shared with this audience?
0: I think the biggest thing, so just um, to give you the background, so my dad passed away about a year and a bit ago, which was really tragic. He was in another country. Um, we hadn't spoken for a long time, but we had we reconnected in the last few weeks of his life and then he passed away. Wow. So that was really, really awful. And what I think I learned from that is that uh, grief exists because of love. And so whilst there were some really, really hard memories with my dad, he was diagnosed bipolar and we had a really, yeah, a really complicated relationship, complicated daddy-daughter relationship. But what I learned was that my grief was because of my love for him and that love kind of conquers all. And so despite all of the stuff that happened, towards the end of his life to be able to reconcile and forgive and heal was just the most amazing thing. And then my best mate died in November, stage four cancer, two young kids. He'd been sick for 22 months. So six months after my dad died, my best, one of my best friends died. And uh, that one, he's still really, really not cool. And I'm, um, really still wrestling with that because he was 42 and it's just unfair. And, and the, he was so brave and so incredible. Um, So I think for me, like, you know, rewind to Maz Compton 10 years ago, anything tough happened in my life and I would just drink and try not to deal with it. Anything difficult, give me a bottle of wine so that I can forget, I can check out, I can just numb and not deal but in eight and a half years in sobriety, I have really managed to find some really strong dealing tools rather than coping mechanisms. So alcohol was my multi-tool of coping. What I've really done in the last 18 months and with a therapist as well is deal and process these really big injustices in my life and these really big like heartbreaks in my life And it doesn't mean, like sobriety didn't mean it was an easier grief journey, but I do think that I got to a place of forgiveness with my dad a lot sooner because I was able to really, I have the most incredible amount of compassion for people that I never had prior to being sober. And it started with self-compassion. So I think when I stopped drinking, I really went on a self-worth journey. And now that I have had compassion on that broken, bruised little girl that grew up and just got into media and kind of like killed it in the game, once I got sober and learned to love her, I then had an enormous amount of compassion for people. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it it has been a really um, hugely challenging but very, very rewarding thing to sit in 100% sober and not check out of, even though it's been extremely difficult. And I am still, as I said, like, I really am still in in the, those early grieving stages with every, because it was a bit of a double whammy. It was like, how did this all happen, you know? Um, but I am so glad I've, I've done it sober. And I'm so glad that I feel like now in my life, you know, I've had some pretty big stuff happen. And not once really in the back of my brain even did I go, a drink will fix this, or I don't want to come at this sober. I just want to check out. That's not my neural pathways anymore. Mm. So my brain chemistry now is, all right, girl, like this is going to suck, but let's hit it. A day at a time, a moment at a time. Let's sit in the grief. Let's have some compassion. Let's forgive, Dad. You know, let's try and find some level of okayness that your friend's not here anymore, right? And I don't think that those things come easily when, when you're drunk or hungover or or sleep deprived because of alcohol.
1: You know, you said something that was really interesting there, and and it just triggered another reason why I think I felt that under like that overwhelming happiness in the first few months. And as I said, it didn't feel like it was physiological or, or biological, like because of sleep or the, the, the absence of toxins. I actually think the lightness and momentum and the capacity came from pride. I, mm-hmm. I, think, I think as you said it, you now feel proud when you do something difficult that you were unsure if you could achieve that sense of elation and pride. I mean, I, I I think about my own times where I'm deflated or depressed and, and I'm like, because my other mantra once was just, you know, choose for pride, which Mm. meant um, if I have two choices, I have to choose the one that's going to make me feel proud. And so that that was, it was as clean and simple as that. So it was like, all right, should I go for a run this afternoon? I don't want to, oh, am I going to be proud of myself? I'm going to, and so it created this momentum of like, all right, should I be flossing my teeth? Oh, I can't be, effed. you know, like, all right, I'm going to be proud of that. But they're tiny, like yeah. all lots of little moments. Should I ring that person? Should I be kind? Should I let that person cut in front of me in the car? You know, like mm-hmm. I just went like, shit, I'm just going to selfishly just keep topping up this pride bucket. And then because guilt, which is heavy, Mm -hmm. and pride, which is light, like that's the spectrum that I see the world through. And I do things that made me feel guilty and that was the problem. I'd drink and I'd wake up the next day feeling guilty and that was Mm -hmm. heavy, right? And then I'd be like this it was just, and then I'd go, I'm going to go and eat some food, you know, cause I'm hung over and then it would yeah. be guilt and it'd be guilt yeah. and guilt and guilt. And that weight through my week, it would, and then I'd be Tuesday, I'd be exhausted. And then I'm go, you know what? I'm not going to do exercise, mm. you know, cause I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm still recovering from the weekend. Right. Yeah. And I wouldn't have the energy and then I'd be guilt. It was just, it just kept starting this guilt spiral versus the capacity of that extra tiniest bit of energy to make a choice for pride. And then Mm. I think that momentum, and I look at my, you know, one of the most inspiring people over the last couple of years that I've watched in my life is my sister-in-law, Ellen, Anna's sister, who, you know, she was like me. She was, she was highly sensitive to alcohol and, you know, she didn't drink often, but when she did, she'd cross over and, you know, she just, she had some wake-up calls and, man, to her credit, she just like, she literally just made a line in the sand and just went, nah, I'm not drinking. And that was the first person around me that I was like, wow, that's big.
0: You know, because
1: mm. she, she was, you know, in the same circles. Like it's difficult planning that um, stand in the sand. And uh, what I watched after that was transformative. Yeah, she transformed her life and is still reaping the rewards of that a few years on. She yeah. never really talked about it, right? Like I was, when I was curious about it, I'd be sort of trying to scope her out and chat to her and have this yeah. deep conversation about the difficulty. And it was sort of not really there. So I was like, I'm just going to have to, I'm just going to have to do it here and, and myself. And, and just from afar watch what she had achieved, she built, you know, she was doing some cool stuff with the jewelry and crystals. I and mean, then she just built these, you know, these, um, bricks and mortar shops and stalls and this created this little empire started driving such huge revenues trying to flex and and get momentum and build this confidence in herself mate I I've never seen anything like it like literally pulled rabbits rabbits out of the, out of the hat you know yeah. one after another based on just drawing that line in the sand nothing else in her life but that and I think it was the momentum she got from pride. I think it was just like, if I can do that, I can do anything. And that's why I was trying to do the skydiving. It was like, I need to give myself confidence and believe in myself again. But if I can throw myself out of a plane, you know, after nine hours of training, you know, by myself and get myself to the ground, 12,000 feet. If I can do that, I can do a few things. Yeah. And so it's, it's all about like the first big, Gust is like if you draw that line in the sand, and for those, I reckon most of the people here are listening to you already on the journey. That you're probably yeah. preaching to the converted, but 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 if they wanted some ammo to help people around them, mm. I would say to them um I'd be passing on to your friends like it'll be the quickest, most direct route to self-pride that is a foundation for a few years of unbelievable transformation that I reckon I could confidently say that that's accessible to most.
0: I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think, I think maybe you're, maybe I have a different definition of pride or maybe I just, for me, pride sometimes has a negative connotation, but I think we're talking about the same thing when I talk about self-worth and the, um, that that's what I discovered in sobriety it was like oh I can do this like oh I am actually I do believe the hype and I am capable and I can function without this vice and I think also like day by day like you it's like you know when you have a kid a baby and they do all the milestones and you're like checking them off in the Wonder Weeks book and blah it's like that in sobriety though. Cause you're like, I went to my first wedding and I didn't drink oh, alcohol. Yeah. So now, Oh my God, look at me go. And, or like, yeah. I went to that sales conference. I, I flew to Miami business class and I didn't have a red wine on the plane. Like, so, and then you get this confidence about yeah. you and it's not swagger or ego. It's just, no. it it's a inner belief of like, I've got this and then you start backing yourself. And I think somehow without being all super spiritual about it, but the universe somehow gets entangled in that. And that is what I think kickstarts the momentum but it's those it's those little tiny incremental micro adjustments that you that you kind of touched on before it's like these little mini micro decisions that that end up being your sobriety journey
1: and they they actually don't add up to something big they multiplied it like what i mean is um each moment of pride gives you momentum for another one it's not just it is a compounding effect, as opposed to yes. add that plus that plus that. There is a one plus one equals three. What what what's the negative connotations around pride in your mind? I
0: don't know. That's such a. I don't know. It just feels to me, pride. I grew up in church, and so I think, um, I think that the way that pride is spoken about in the Bible, just from like religious upbringing, like don't you know? I'm not. Um, I don't believe everything that I was taught when I was a teenager at church. Let's just put it that way, right? I still have a faith system. Um, I'm still like quite spiritual. But yeah, anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Um, But I think that maybe there are a few scriptures in the Bible that were just drilled into me as a kid about pride being a bad thing. And I don't think it is bad. But I think that just that programming, when you say pride, I'm like, oh, but I think that we have a different definition of it so i, yeah, I, you I know think what i'm saying
1: they're too they're too proud to do that is that in that context
0: yeah and that's not what you're talking about no. you're not talking about being too proud to do something you're yeah. talking about that that inner um self-reflective pride of yeah, like yeah, yeah. i feel good and okay with what yeah. I have achieved or accomplished or or what have you but it, it's just interesting like that you know and that's just that's just programming. That's seriously just like from the cult of a church that I went to when I was a <laughs> I was a kid. Still haunts me to this very day.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, there's plenty of plenty of good in those environments. Um, plenty oh, of good stuff.
0: There are there is the yeah. Youth group on a Friday night was a it was a vibe. Like we it, you know, I don't I'm so glad that I grew up in the church, but I think as an adult with a bit of critical thinking, I've had a look back at some of the teaching and gone. I don't think that checks out, guys. Uh, this is how I want to move forward with my faith yeah. journey. Thank you. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, mate, um, we've been talking for nearly an hour, which I love, um, because they would never let us do a radio show with this demo. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no, 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 they wouldn't. And I always, I always <laughs> worry. I, at this part of a podcast, I always worry. I'm like, is anyone still listening? But... Yeah,
0: people are still listening, mate, because they love me. Uh,
1: really? <laughs> Why? I
0: don't know. Um, no, I do think people. Uh, I think people listen because there's so many questions around sobriety and sober curiosity, and people want to know. They want to know if is it possible? Is it for me? Is it worth it? Is it hard? Is it difficult? How is Jules doing it? Yeah. You know, and I and I would be so interested to keep in touch with you on this yeah. journey and see yeah when's your one year what's the date
1: yeah it's about October 15th give or take a second or two but I do worry it's funny because in the first six months all I had was like this is easy but then yeah um the last couple that's really challenged me I'll be interested to see where I get to in a, in a year again because mm. I've already started to fantasize about it I'm like oh oh god do it does that disappear or does that grow stronger and I, I know what'll happen is I'll start going back and then I'll go, "Oh, I just broke the seal on that. I had those drinks and it was sh- like it was no win. Near- that was just a that was just a obsession, you know, like the actual mm-hmm. reality of it." Now, the grass wasn't greener and and then I'll probably come back here again and I'm sure I'll do that for the rest of my life, but um uh can I can I can I plug something to your dear listeners?
0: Absolutely. Also, just quickly on the grass is greener thing. I think this is a lyric from a rap song, but it, it or it's a quote from like it's Socrates. It's I can't remember which one. <laughs> it's one or the other. But it is the grass is greener where you
1: water it. Ah. Yeah, it's good for relationships, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. it's
0: greener where you're watering it. So yeah. whatever grass you're watering, that's where the greenest grass is, which is usually yeah. right under your feet.
1: Yeah. No, I like that. Thanks, um, mate. So I I am um I'm hosting a drive show. Uh, so around, I've heard. Yeah, around entrepreneurship. Amazing. And, uh, you'd be a great guest, actually, because of the F45 and all these cool things that you're doing. Oh, which thanks. is Which is...
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Broad and impressive, Um, so I will definitely be hitting you up, but yeah, it's, it's Sorry, I'm busy. Those... What's that?
0: Sorry, I'm busy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Too
0: busy doing a podcast.
1: Yeah, actually, yeah. I'm just. I've been recording this. This was actually my podcast. Yeah, I've got my phone here, so yeah, we're we're gonna. It's like a Instagram collab. It's gonna I love
0: go... a co- I love a collab. I love a yeah. crossover.
1: Your show and my show. It's published. Love both it, ways, but um. No, it's 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 for those. It could be in startups or scale ups. Could be you could be an innovator in a big company. You could be a business coach. You could have something to offer around marketing or whatever. Mm. Um, it'll be it'll be really uh, a different view of um, innovation in a sense that I've always seen business like you got white haired, grey suit guys reading the Finn Review at the Chairman's Lounge, uh, you know, at one end, which is dry (laughs) and boring. And then at the other end you've got these CrossFit, American sensationalised, you know, hustle glorifying.
0: um, The biohackers.
1: Oh, that crap that you've – I don't know if you get it on social, but just guys that are just like massive. If you're not working 15 hours a day and, you know, that that sort of – you know, burnout culture I hate. And it's really masculine, but I actually find entrepreneurship to be incredibly vulnerable and scary and confronting and you need almost like a a board of directors, but they're personal, Mm. you know, like all parts of it. The last nine years that I've been building Tribe has been bloody hard work. Um, It's been torturous uh, and rewarding. So it's for those people. So um if any of your listeners wants to want want to tune in, it's on D A B plus um and you gotta type radio. In, yeah, you gotta type in disrupt radio when we launch um very soon. But uh you can hit me up on on LinkedIn and you get or on Instagram and you can you can get updates and stuff. But I'd I'd love for some of your brilliant brains uh that are listening to contribute whether they've got segment ideas or they want to be interviewed or they want to coach people as a bit of a community.
0: A hundred percent. And so why don't I put all the links and info in the show notes of this episode so it's just easy. That'd be great. Just go to the show notes and you can find all the information there. There. Jules, thanks so much, mate. This has probably been our longest chat um, because we haven't had to go to a song.
1: But I do have some pink tickets to give away. You just have to guess the secret pound. It's by Cavoodle.
0: Oh, what a blast from the past. Thank you so much, my friend. Um, let's definitely keep in touch. Yeah. And I'm um, looking forward to reaching out on the 15th of October to say congrats.
1: Yeah. And, and also- see where things go. And also, congratulations to you, Maz. The reason I wanted to join you today is to also acknowledge you on your brilliance and your discipline and your generosity to those people listening. Uh, I'm a big admirer. And despite those judges in the X Games choosing the better better presenter, you have somehow almost caught up.
0: Almost sincere. (laughs) That was. You're the best. Thanks, buddy.
1: Love you, mate.
0: Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at lastdrinkspod.